If you have your Bibles, we're going to finish our study in, we're going to finish 139 tonight. Some difficult verses tonight. <laughs> in fact, most, uh, most uh, commentaries skip it. They don't even talk about it. <laughs> most, you rarely hear anybody preaching on these verses publicly. It, usually when the psalm is read, it's just glossed over it very quickly. Uh, you rarely will see this be somebody's life verse. I'm just going to tell you that. And, um, and so they're hard verses to look at, and I, I sent the team a message and said, I'm going to pull on you tonight because I, I really was hoping this would build and that you would see that I have to do less and less and they're doing more and more, and, and so that's really what we're going to do uh, tonight. I want to remind you again about Friday mornings. Uh, somebody said in prayer tonight that they're going to miss meeting during the summer and there's no Bible studies that continue. We will be continuing with Friday morning study for those of you that have liked what we're doing uh, and, and have really gotten a taste for studying the Word of God. You're always welcome to join us on Friday mornings. For those of you that are here for the first time tonight, this is not how we normally have Bible study. Um, I am trying to teach people how to study the Word of God, uh, but next week I'll be back to preaching and so I'll come back again next week. Psalm 139, you have searched me and you know me. And that word we studied in previous weeks means to know intimately. Can I tell you, God has searched you. He digs deep within you and he knows everything there is to know about you. He knows when you sit and when you rise, he perceives your thoughts from afar. He discerns you're going out and you're lying down. He is familiar with all of your ways. Before a word is on your lips, he knows it completely. He hems you in behind and before, and he has laid his hand upon you. Such knowledge should be too wonderful for you, too lofty for you to attain. There's nowhere you can go from his spirit, and there's nowhere you can flee from his presence. If you go up to the heavens, he is there. If you make your bed in the depths, he is there. If you rise on the wings of the dawn, if you settle on the far side of the sea, even there his hand will guide you. His right hand will hold you fast. If you say, surely the darkness will hide you and the light become night around you, even the darkness will not be dark to him. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to him. He created your inmost being. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are not an accident. You're, you're not an oops. He created you. He purposed you. He has a plan and a destiny for your life that only you can fulfill. He wants you here. I don't care who you annoy. I don't care who gets, who, who, whose nerves you get on. I don't care who likes you or dislikes you. Can I tell you, God wants you here. He orchestrated your very being to get you here for such a time as this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your frame was not hidden from him when it was made in the secret place. When, when you were woven together in the depths of the earth, God saw your unformed body and all the days ordained for you. However many you have left on this earth were written in his book before one of them ever came to be. And then he goes on and David says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God, how vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. And then these are the difficult verses. You see how it just takes an abrupt change here. Just listen to the change in the passage. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. 
They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's such a stark contrast. It's, it's such an abrupt change in this passage. I, I normally ask the team if they found any other translations that they like, but quite frankly, if you look at the translations, they're all very, very similar. Uh, did, did anyone find any that you thought was not similar uh, that really stuck out to you? The only one that I really wanted to talk about tonight was, um, was the passion because I want to get those last two verses in the Passion. Uh, and so uh, why don't you start, uh, Petra, and then you can read the voice too. I see you have that there. Um, it starts down here. Oh God, I come and slay these bloodthirsty, murderous men. For I cry out, depart from me, you wicked ones. See how they blaspheme your sacred name and lift up themselves against you, but, in all, but, in, but all in vain. Lord, can't you see how I despise those you who despise you? For I grieve when I see them rise up against you. I have nothing but complete hatred and disgust for them. Your enemies shall be my enemies. Yeah. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me thorough, through and thorough, thorough. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. I, I love that. That's why I really wanted to, to just focus on the passion tonight. Just listen to that again. He says, put me to the test and sift through my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the ways that lead me back to you. I'm telling you that there is a path of pain that we can choose to walk on. And that every day we need to, to sit before the Lord and say, examine me, search me, and see if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's any way that is leading me on a path of pain, because who knows the heart is deceptive above all things and desperately wicked. That, that, that sin is deceitful. Do you, do you understand that? It's deceitful. It will deceive you. You will be self-deceived. The Bible says that we're deceived by the pride of our heart. I don't want to see my garbage. I, I don't want to see what I do wrong. It's really easy to see what everybody else is doing wrong, but I, I don't want that in my own life. And we are deceived by the pride of our heart. And so David said, search me, O God, and know me. Test me and see if there's any, any way in me that's leading to a path of pain. I want to ask you tonight. Is there anybody here who, who, if God examined you, he would be able to put his finger on something and say, that right there, that is leading you on a path of pain, and I want you to do something about it. I want you to clean that thing up. I want you to give that thing to me. I want you to let me heal that thing, because it is leading you on a path of pain. You've heard me say a million times that God's pleasant path leads to pleasant places. You say, Rhea, why are you so whacked out and crazy about the word of God? Because I've learned a lot in my old age. And, and the thing that I've learned the most is that, that the, there is a path of pain in life that we can choose. When we say no to God's word, 
When we say, I think I know better, or I'm entitled to this, or I really like this fun lifestyle, when we do that, it will always take you on a path of pain. But God's pleasant path will always lead you to a pleasant place. It's so black and white for me. It's so simple for me because I've lived on the path of pain. You see, maybe some of you haven't, but I know what it's like to spit in God's face. I know what it's like to know what God's word says up here, but to do whatever I want to do and, and end up in a path of pain. And so I preach the way I preach. I talk the way I talk because I understand that, that I can, can, can give you some truth that will keep you from the pain I've had to live. His pleasant path will always lead to pleasant places. And that's why David ends this psalm by saying, search me. I want you to search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me on the path that leads back to you, the path of life. But these verses in between are tricky, are they not? And so, uh, Pedro, I saw you had the voice. Do you like it? Do you, did you like the voice? Did that? Okay. Yeah, these verses were kind of hard, and usually I find some encouragement from different translations. And <laughs> this is like, I don't know, with hating everybody, and I didn't find any encouragement. In it, but I went back and looked at it in a different view. And um, just his prayer that he was um, praying uh, and, and pleading to God for those that, um, that don't know him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will read from the voice. Um, Surely you will slay the wicked Lord. Away, thirst, bloodthirsty men, be gone. They blasphemy your name and stand in arrogance against you. How silly can they be? O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I be grieved with them? Yes, I hate them, for your enemies are my enemies too. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Point out anything in me that makes you sad. What did you like about that, Petra? What stuck out to you? Um, I guess, yeah, like I was saying before, it's just he was uh, pleading to God um, and asking God, like, keep me away from those bloodthirsty men, just a protection that he's not taking, um, partaking in um, the actions that they, the evil that people do, um, and that it just grieves his heart, the Lord, um, and that also grieves his because his intimacy with God is so um, so close, and um, it's like that's how we should be. If we see someone else doing something that they shouldn't be doing, it should grieve our heart just as much as it grieves God. Yep, good. So I have a question for all of you as you studied this this week and for all of you as you studied it this week. Because what got me as I was studying is, and all of these, I hate this person. I hate those who you hate and, and, and slay those bloodthirsty men. And, and it seems so vicious to me, especially in light of Jesus saying in Luke 6, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So how does that line up? And I I asked the team specifically because they should have studied this week. I, I, I asked you, how does that line up with what Jesus said about loving your enemies and praying for those who curse you? And now David is saying, 
he's calling down fire from, from heaven, I believe, and he's saying, slay them, and I hate those who hate you, and, and it was almost a noble thing that he was saying. So uh, I'm just curious what you got out of this this week, that, that how did those two things line up? Anybody? Sandy has something ready here. Let's pass the mic to Sandy. This is a commentary from Mark Henry, but I, because I struggled with all that too until, but he's, he, um, so it's defined, Matthew Henry commentary, she's saying, yep. Yeah, Matthew Henry, mm -hmm. yeah. He said, uh, depart from me, you bloody men, you shall define, well, he went into all that. Okay, let's see here. Oh, you shall not debaw me, for I am not, I will not admit your friendship nor fellowship with you, and you cannot destroy me. For being under God's protection, he shall force you to depart from me. So it's like um, Mary Crawley, who we used to work with, um, she always said that if you're next to somebody that's very negative or whatever, you have her permission to move <laughs> somewhere or whatever. But I think God's got us under protection because there's a lot of um, evil out there. There's a lot of evil. just trying to protect us. So the one in the New Living, when it read, um, I don't know this is how I would speak out, I guess, is that, oh, God, if you would destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. Huh. That's how. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a New Living I translation? Get, this is a so, New Living. So I want to know, because do you hear how harsh that sounds? And, and I believe, this is just my personal belief, that I'm called to love the unlovable. I'm, I'm called those people who are ruthless, those people who are cruel and angry. They just are, for me, they're just... Uh, uh, um, something to be conquered. That's how I look at it. And so why is David saying this? Does anybody know? Anybody have any idea? Well, we're to pray for our enemies, but that doesn't mean we have to be their friends. That we don't have to be their friends. You're exactly or right. Being, and and I love what you said about them. rubbing off on somebody. When you're with somebody, you begin to be like them. I always say to the, to the team, I am reproducing myself in you. The more you hang with me, the more you should pray like me, the more you should talk like me. And, and, and you're because whoever you hang with, you become like. My, my children, when they were in high school, I would say, I just want to tell you that, that, that uh, uh, what corrupts good character? Somebody help me. Bad company corrupts good character. And, and I would say that to my kids, that you become like the people you hang with. And I, when I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, I, I was born and raised in Pennsylvania. I was Pennsylvania Dutch. But when I went to North Carolina, I said, I will never say you all. And I left there yalling with the best of them. And Because you become like the people you hang with. And I do believe there's some of that in this psalm where David's saying, I want a pure heart before you. I, I'm going to keep those bloodthirsty men away from me. I believe there's some of that, but I believe it's even deeper. Did I do find anything else out? What kind of psalm is this? Does anybody... Did Anybody find that out in their study? Anybody? Yep, that's it. But say Anybody? it out loud. Oh, there. Okay. Yeah. Um, imp imprecations or imp imprecatory Pre psalm. Sorry. It's called an imprecatory <laughs> psalm. And an imprecatory psalm is what, Leslie? Did you find that out? Well, I looked up imprecation. And that's Imprecate. prayer mm -hmm. or implication for harm or injury to come upon one. So yeah. it's, a, it's an action. They're praying harm or a curse to come down on someone. And there are several psalms that are called imprecatory psalms. This is one. Do I think that that's what this is? Commentators, there are tons of commentators that will say this is an imprecatory psalm. This is David calling a curse down on the wicked. And that that's all this is. 
I am just bothered by this because I want to know why he's singing God's praises. Oh God, you know, search me and know me. You search me and you know me. There's nothing hidden from you. Before a word is on my, my lips, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you formed me in my mother's womb and you knit me together there and, and then all of a sudden, away oh, from me, you bloodthirsty men. What is that? Yeah, we can't all hear you. Yep. I don't see it as a, I mean, I hear what, what everyone's saying, but I, he's not, how I see it is that he's spouting off to the Lord, but I don't believe that he's meaning it as um, direct harm. It's like he's, I think he's like saying to the Lord, like trying to figure it out with the Lord. But I, I don't think see you're it exactly a, right, Cheryl. Yeah, you know, I don't, like he's doing a curse on people. I think this is, he's talking to the Lord, like trying to, figure it out with the Lord. Exactly. Very good, Cheryl. Very good. Yeah. Very, very good. So, so here's what's happening. And I see that hand. Can somebody run a mic over there? Um, here's what I believe is happening as well. He has just now encountered an omniscient God, an omnipotent God, a, 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 God, who, a God who knows everything, a God who's present everywhere, and a God who's all-powerful. And, and he has just said praises, saying praises to God for that. He's, he's declared his omniscience. He's declared his omnipotence. He's declared his omnipresence. And now he's saying, Lord, I can't even stand that somebody doesn't know you and, and that would defame your name and somebody would take your name in vain. And I, I can't even stand that, Lord. And, and here's the only thing I can say is away from me, you bloodthirsty men. I don't need, I, I'm going to hate those who hate you, Lord. Look yeah. how loyal I am. I think he's declaring his loyalty to, to the Lord. I think he's full of holy zeal. And who knows, Rhea can be guilty of that quite often. Holy zeal. And I think it's burning within him. And, and he doesn't even have words to say. Would you agree, guys, as you studied that? What else did you see in it? And I, I want to grab, yeah. Uh -huh. This psalm a lament? Yes, a song, you're exactly right. It sure is. Yeah. And, and, and songs of lament were, were sung all the time. And, and, and we know that they sang this psalm. Yeah, very good. Way to study. Good, good, good. When you were reading the verse from Luke, I was thinking the same thing. And I've, I've heard so many um, times people have taken the New Testament and said, well, the Old Testament says one thing and the New Testament <laughs> says another. And it doesn't make sense because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yeah. today, and forever. And so I, but I was thinking of different verses that um, I had read before where the Old Testament said, you know, love your enemy also. And in, in Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall not take vengeance, punishment, nor bear any grudge, which is keep guard uh, against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh -huh. and, and then there was another verse from Proverbs 25, 21. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will keep heap hot coals on his head and the Lord will be re reward you. And then there's another one from Exodus that talks about if they're ox goes astray or their ass goes under a burden that you're supposed to basically help them out. And so that really reinforces in the Old Testament, the Lord is encouraging them to love their enemies also. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was, I, then I was thinking, why well, the Lord must not mean kill then, right? I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe. <laughs> did the, you look this, up the word though? Well, I did. So then I, but that wasn't an out, right? Because I was thinking he's, it, it probably doesn't mean kill. It probably means like, punish them or you know and and that is part of it but it really means it means kill 
it, it never, it, like in, in every version, it said kill. And I was thinking that sounds so harsh. But okay, so I didn't get this on my own. I, I, I looked up all the words and I couldn't make sense of that part of it. And, and I listened to a, some, somebody on Blue Letter Bible who was talking about David's position. And he was saying that David was king and he was an, in a judicial position where not only was he being um, condemned by, you know, just a small group of people around him, but there was large people against him. And so it was overwhelming, you know, overwhelming persecution. And so he, and, and also he, they, they, I hope I get this right. Um, you know, the Israelites were supposed to possess the land and they didn't. They didn't do what God asked them to do. They didn't believe. They didn't come and, and take the land of milk and honey the way the Lord told them to. And so David was, um, David was in a position now where he had to try to fix this. There's all these people who are still in God's promised land, and they're living awful. And David's just watching this, and they're also coming against him. And I think he also was taking on this grief that God had. You know, I do sometimes, too. Like, I, I'll be frustrated because I have good friends and people in my life that I love, and they keep partaking in things that are so against the Lord and their path for them, and it grieves my heart. And so when they come against me, I at first I might take offense, but when I go to the Lord, he says, you know, they're not against you, they're against my ways. And and then my heart does change, and it becomes more like the Lord's, where I say, yeah. well, Lord, can you free them from that awful way of living? And so I think it was, I think it was both. I think David was wanting to protect himself because they were coming at yes. him, but I also think that the more he brought this to the Lord, because he was saying, God, I don't give me permission to kill these people. I mean, he was king. He could have done whatever yeah. he wanted. He could go out there and do whatever he wanted. But he said, Lord, I'm putting this back in your hands, and I'm just asking, would you just kill him off? You know, and, and I think by the end he was saying, but you know what? If my heart's bad and it's wrong, then just tell me and, and straighten that out. And I think there's some of that and some of what Cheryl said where he's working it out with the Lord. However, remember when we first started this passage off, we talked about how some commentators say that the reason David was going before the Lord and saying, you search me and you know me, is because people were talking smack about him. They were, they were hurting him. They were, they, they were out to get him. And he was going to the Lord saying, Lord, you know me. And, and you know the truth about me, and what they're saying about me is not truth, and so you search me, and you know me. You know everything about it. He's almost reminding himself of that, and then he gets to this place where he's saying, away from me, you bloodthirsty men, and will you not slay the wicked? And sometimes I know that you're far more spiritual than I am, but have you ever been in the place where you wanted God to do dirty to somebody who did you dirty? I'm just telling you, we all have that in us, and, and I think David was there as well. I, I know that there's other ways to look at the psalm, but I also believe that he's there where he's saying, Lord, take care of them for me. And then he suddenly realizes, wow, I might have some of that in me as well. And that's where he's saying, search me and know me. And if there's any wicked way in me, if I'm not seeing something here that I need to see, if I'm guilty and they're not, can you just put your finger on that? And, and what a different world this would be if we lived like that, wouldn't we? But I also believe, and more importantly, I do believe that we were on the right, right track to begin with, where we said, I think David is saying, I'm loyal to you, and I'm loyal to your ways. 
And I, it breaks my heart to see somebody defaming your name, somebody, somebody treating your name with total disregard. And, and, he, and he's basically saying, I, I wrote down here, that there can be no spiritual neutrality. neutrality. There, there, it's, they, it, that David can't be spiritually neutral. He can't say it's good, it's okay if you're evil, and it's great if you're, if you're, if you're not. Uh, he was saying, no, we need to call, we need to hate what God hates. Do, do you understand what the church would be like, what my life would be like if I started to hate what God hates? If I hated unforgiveness instead of held on to it? Because I promise you, God hates unforgiveness. He knows what it does to us. If, he hated, if I hated gossip like God hates gossip, if I hated lying and all of those things, what we're... Leah, find the passage that talks about six things the Lord hates, seven he detests. It's like it's Old Testament, Micah, Malachi. It's Micah maybe. Um, and because and, and, there are some things he hates. Cheryl. I'm going through this. You know, if I feel like at least he's working out with the Lord and not taking it out directly on his enemies. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, isn't it better, like, to go to the Lord and I, I think it's work absolutely. through it? You know, and that's what it feels mm -hmm. like he's doing rather than, you know, he's not acting out on the people, but he's, it's, that's what it feels like to me. I, I think you're exactly right, Cheryl. So, that, that's, that some people will say to me, I'll say they'll come up in a prayer line and they'll say, I'm angry about this, 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 and this, and I'll say, have you told the Lord? And they'll say, I can't tell the Lord that. He knows, that's right. You've got this scripture, don't you? He already knows. And I think he welcomes those kind of conversations. Leslie, do you remember the woman? We were back at um, uh, Weatherstone, and, and she was, I knew her from, I knew her for a long time. And, and she was angry and bitter and mean. She was not a nice person. People really avoided her at all costs. They did. And, and, and one day she showed up at Bible study, and we were so excited, and she began to come to Bible study. And one day she came up and she asked for prayer, and she was miserable. And, and, and I said, you know, why don't you just go home tonight? And she said, I'm angry, Rhea. I'm angry because of this and this and this and this. And she had lots to be angry about. She had been abused. She had been done dirty. And, and so when I heard her story, I understood why she was mean and nasty and unkind. And, and I said, you know, I, I'd like you to go home tonight, and I want you to just begin pouring out to the Lord and saying, I'm angry with you because of this. And I can't believe that you let this happen to me. And, and Lord, where were you when this happened? Did I not? I, I, I said that to her. And she came back the next week. Am I exaggerating one bit? That there was an absolute countenance change on her. And, and she was softened and she was sweet. And we said, what happened? And she said, I went home and I laid on my bed and I said, I'll do it just because Rhea told me to do it. And she said, and I started out really angry. And I said, and I'm angry about this. And, and I can't believe you did this. And she said, and then I just began, more stuff just kept coming up. And, and she said, in the very end, she said, all of a sudden, this song began to well up inside of me. And she said, I just began to sing it before the Lord. And she said, his healing presence came over me. I've got goosebumps on my body even as I'm telling you this story. Because this is no exaggeration, is it? Uh, it is absolute tr truth. And she said, she got free. And it's because, Cheryl, she worked it through with the Lord. She didn't hide it. She didn't take it out on somebody else. She didn't continue to stay bitter and angry with somebody else. She went directly to the source and said, help me understand what I can't understand. And, and I think that's where David was. He wanted to smack them silly. And like Leah said, he had every right to. But I want to ask you, were these his enemies that he's angry at? 
Whose enemies were they? God's enemies. They were God's enemies, and that's what you need to know. See, that's why the scripture, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because my enemies are not God's enemy. Um, they're mine, maybe. And that's why I need to pray it through and I need to bless them. But these were people who were not just sinning against God. What were they doing? What did you find out in your study? What did you find out? They were blaspheming his name. Yep. What else? There are some pretty heavy words there. Anybody? They were hostile. They were hostile. Yep. Towards God. Not towards David even. They were hostile towards God. They took his name in vain. And what did that word in vain mean? You've heard me say this a million times, but it tickled my heart that it came out here. Anybody figure out what in vain meant? Leah, what did you find out? Devoid of power. Devoid of power. power. Emptiness, uh, nothingness, worthless of conduct, useless. You've heard me say this, that, that if I pray for you and, and come to these impartation nights because I'm going to pray for you, when I put my hand on your head and I say, in the name of Jesus, I am expecting something to change because I will never be guilty of taking his name in vain. I will never be guilty of making his name devoid of power. His name is not useless. His name is not worthless. And when we speak the name of Jesus over somebody, something should change. You see, in Exodus, and it might, the first mention was Exodus 27. So somebody tell me what Exodus 27. Remember, first mention principle is you find out the first place this word was used, and that gives you the strongest definition of the name, of the word. So first mention is Exodus 20, verse 7. Does somebody want to read that for me? Sure. It's, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. So how many of you have always looked at that? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How many of you have looked at that and you thought it was, I love the brewers. Hey, can I get a shout out for the brewers and where they're at right now? Yeah. Um, but, but I love the brewers, but I hate going to games because inevitably somebody's sitting behind me taking the name of the Lord in vain. Are you with me? And it just goes through me like I, it's everything I can do to keep control and not whip my head around and say, you just took the name of my Lord in vain. But, but how many of you have looked at that scripture and thought that's what it meant? A curse word, uh, you know, using the name of the Lord as a cuss word. But if you look up the definition, see, this is why we study the word of God. It means falsehood, nothingness, emptiness, worthless, uselessness, devoid of power. So I believe it is a cuss word. I believe that it, that does mean when it's used as a cuss word, but I also mean, I believe it means that when I lay my hands on you and I speak the name of Jesus, when I say in the name of Jesus, something is going to change because his name is not devoid of power. See, some of you are here tonight and you have an issue in your life that is bigger than you, that's bigger than a doctor, that's bigger than a counselor, that's bigger than a financial advisor. And can I tell you, the name of Jesus is bigger than that thing. Speak the name of Jesus over that circumstance. Don't you dare make it devoid of power because his name is power. His name is power. I promise you that. Did I see somebody over here? Nope. Anything else that you saw in that passage that stuck out to you? Who was it? Karen. Well, yeah. I'm, I was very honest with the team that I did not get a chance to study this week. So what I'm kind of gathering here is also a, like just the ricochets of everything. But 
the thing that stands out in one of the versions that you guys were reading and, and I read in this, you know, just the word abhor. Hmm. Like, and if you look up the word abhorrent in the dictionary, it just says, you know, causing or deserving strong dislike or hatred, being so repugnant as to stir up positive antagonism. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's one thing I remember from when I was younger. I remember hearing a, um, a sermon about how the Lord abhors lying. Mm -hmm. And that is such a strong word. That's just different than a little bit of hatred. He abhors lying and deceit. And, and my thought is this, is that David, um, I think some of that abhorrence just woke up in him in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's just a different level of, you know, like, I mean, the, the Lord really, really hates it because of the ricochet effect that lying and deceit have it's not it's it's literally collateral damage when someone tells a lie and i think that the lies like you were saying that was they were being spoken against david and just the potential that a lie has is it i think just just that some of that abhorrence towards lying and deceit rose up within him and then you know he settled down but um you know it makes me want to study this word because when i did a quick search you know um you know, just the different, you know, verses that, that had, you know, that use it, but even in different, um, you know, Romans 12, 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, mm -hmm. cling to what is good. And in that moment, David was abhorring what That's was evil. That's exactly right. Very he, and, good to, and then mm -hmm. going back to clinging what is good. And so it's just, we need to really have that same, I mean, the best we can without sinning, but look at Jesus, even he like, he flipped over the tables in the temple and yet was still without sin. Not that we need to flip over tables, but like, there's something that rises up in people and look at what's going on in the world. Don't even want to get into all the politics, but when you start to see and hear lies, doesn't something just rise up in you? That feeling of abhorrence because of the collateral damage of lies. And so, and we need to have that same tenaciousness towards lying and not let it come out, even those little bits, because God doesn't say he likes or he just abhors or, you know, hates big lies. It's just lying, whether it's little or big, he abhors it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was just what David was feeling in that moment. Good job, Karen. And, and that takes me back to that scripture I had L Leah and, and Petra look up for us. Can you just read it for us? These are the things that the Lord hates, abhors. Um, uh, the six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So six things the Lord hates, seven he detests. And the seventh is a person who stirs up conflict. Oh, <laughs> He hates a lying tongue. Do you know why he hates it? I pulled the scripture up for you. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Can I tell you that when we lie, we speak the devil's language, because he is the father of lies. Lies are his, his native language. Therefore, his offspring are liars. Do, do you see that? We have got to guard our hearts against lying because it's one of the seven things that he hates. He, he detests a lying tongue. Um, and so that, that, that was very good, Karen. Good job. So, but I want to go back to uh, 
what is David? This is not David's enemy here. Why, why are they God's enemies? Because I don't think any of us are God's enemies. Why, why are these God's enemies? Anybody? I, I, one of the commentaries that I read uh-huh. said, um, but there may come a point when wickedness is so persistent and high-handed and God despising that the time of redemption is past and they only remain irremediable wickedness and judgment. So, yeah. yeah so, they're ba- so do they're you hear past. that? I'm, I can't even make this more serious than it is. It, did you hear what Leslie said? There is going to come a time when wickedness, what is it, Leslie, becomes so persistent and high-handed and God despising that the time of redemption is past. So we can get to a place in our life where we have tuned out God and hardened our heart to God so often that that door, remember I talked to you last week about the door of the ark being slammed shut. The time is going to come. We are living in a time of grace right now. But the day is coming when that door is going to be slammed shut and we will then transfer over to a time. God is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. Uh, He's a God of wrath. It's just right now his wrath has been removed because of what Christ did on the cross. Christ took his wrath on the cross of Calvary. But listen to this verse. Now, um, it's in Romans 2, verse 5. It says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentive heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So these people, I believe, are people who are rejecting God who are rejecting his mercy and his grace, who are rejecting his word. And for those people, they become God. Do you see that is what David's saying here? These are people who are mocking you. These are people who are rejecting you. These are people who are turning their back on you. Um, And so uh, that's important. Did I see a hand? Masha, can somebody give her a mic, please? Okay, so my Bible refers to Isaiah 11:4, which reads, "But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked." Mm-hmm. And so my take is like just the same as all yours um, that you know, he's looking at the wicked, but then at, in verse 24 when he says, and see if there is any wicked way in me. So he's looking not only at what's going on in the world, but he's reflecting, you know, Lord, like, I could be the wicked one. Exactly. He's not being self-righteous here. And I think it's very easy for us to trip over into self-righteousness, to see the plank in somebody else's eye and never look at the speck in our own. So you're exactly right, Masha. He's not being self-righteous here. I I, I read uh, in uh, Leupold's uh, commentary, it says, 
um, we must refer to those who refuse to acknowledge. He's saying that this passage refers to those who refuse to acknowledge the providential care of God that watches over them, to those who refuse to be God-related in their thinking and doing, though God stands so closely related to them. That's how it's in context with this passage. It, it, the thing I struggled with all week long was to say, why does he start out saying, God, you search me and you know me before a thought is even on my, my mind, you know it completely. Before a word is on my lips, you know it completely. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you know everything there is to know about me. You knit me together in my mama's womb. That's how much you know about me. I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. And then all of a sudden, this passage, these verses. So how are they connected? And I think that that's what David is astounded by, that you're the God who created them. You're the God who knit them together in their mama's womb. You're the God who never leaves their side. If they go to the depths of hell, you're there. If they go to the heights of heaven, even there you are. You're everywhere. You never leave them. That's how much you're, they're loved by you. And yet they refuse your providential care. They're not God's enemies they have made themselves an enemy of God. Do you see how that works? They have chosen. The, God is not saying, you're my enemy. God, they are saying, I want to be your enemy. I don't want anything to do with you. And we are living in a world of people like that. A world of people who don't know any better. Who don't know that God created them. That God knit them together in their mama's womb. That they are not a thought that their mom and dad had. They're a thought that God had. That they're here because he purposed them. And that he has a plan for their life. That, that he, is, he is not a high off, far off distant God. He is a God who is active in their life. Who cares about them. Who, who never leaves them. Everybody else, though you're my mother and father forsake me. God will receive me as his own. That's the God we're talking about here. How in the world, David is saying, could they possibly refuse you? How in the world can this world possibly refuse him? We should be asking ourselves that same question. And I think David is aware that it is but by the grace of God that he goes there too. Can I tell you? It is but by the grace of God that I go there. I could walk away tomorrow. I could choose to, to throw all of this away tomorrow. I could choose to go back into the world tomorrow. It is the grace of God that I don't do that. And David is aware of that. And he's aware, and he goes before the Lord, and he says, search me. Dig deep within me. It's that same word that we studied in the beginning. And know me. Know me intimately. Look at the places I'm fooling myself and I'm deceiving myself and see if there's any wicked way in me and keep me off that path of pain and lead me into the way of everlasting. Such good stuff. I saw somebody over here. Anybody, were you going to say something? Anything else that you saw that really stuck out to you? I love John Stott's commentary. I really thought this was phenomenal. I just want to read it to you. He's talking about David saying, search me and know me. He's saying, only the one whose heart is open to God's searching eye, who has misgivings or anxious thoughts about his own discernment, and who is all too aware of the possibility of something offensive in himself, will be able to follow the Lord in the way everlasting. Search all my sense and know my heart who only can make known, search all my thoughts, the secret springs, the motives that control. Search me, O Lord, and know me. 
and see if there's any offensive way in me. I loved what you read with um, the voice, any way that hurts you. Because we don't view, yeah, it makes you sad. Uh, see if there's any way in me that makes you sad. What if just this week, every day we woke up and we said to God, is there any way in me that makes, can you just show me? Because I'm certain there is. And so I'm giving you, David was opening himself up to the searching. He, God didn't need his permission. Do you see that? He started out in saying, God, you do search me and you know me. God is a searching, knowing God. But David is now, uh, what's the word? What do we want to say he's doing to God? Because it's almost like he's giving God permission to search him. <laughs> but I think it's because he understands the value in saying, God, search me and know me. And see if there's any way. And I think, too, because of David, I mean, he was capable of, we all are, but great sin, too. I think for him also keeping it on the, the forefront of, you know, without even saying, like, God, look what I'm capable of. I've made these mistakes and different things. So, like, like, search me because I know how quick I can, you know, stumble. I know how quick I can whatever. So it's being realistic with his limitations and, you know, all that, too, that it's, yeah, I don't think there was a self-righteous. It mm -hmm. sounds when he's saying, away from me, you bloodthirsty man, and do I not hate those who, who hate you? It can sound self-righteous, but I, I don't mm -hmm. believe it was because he ends by saying, now, now I'm aware that I could be well, Lord, and so search me and know me. Yeah. Anything else stick out to you all as you studied this week or any of you? Huh. Um, to me, Let's give her a mic that's working. I don't know why that's not working. One of the translations said, I hate them with perfect hatred. Um, it's really, um, it's almost like when you hear someone talk smack about your kid, it's like this mama bear rises up. And he had that type of um, intimacy with the Lord that he was defending his namesake and his relationship with him. Yeah. And, um, and that's why it, what stuck out when it said perfect hatred. And the word perfect there means completeness. Mm -hmm. I just looked it up. You know, perfection, the number of perfection, seven, completeness. So what do you think that means, perfect hatred? I didn't think hatred Righteous. should be perfect. <laughs> Righteous uh, anger, like, yeah. like Jesus, when he turned over the tables, the many tables, it was righteous anger. Um, it's not that, that he hated. He hated the act of what they were doing. It's interesting. I read in a commentary this week, that um, that saying, God doesn't hate the sinner, he hates the sin, it really is not biblical. Um, and, and they point it back, did you read that too? They point it back to this passage and said, you know, that, that you can make, you know, you can harden your heart so much uh, that you just get to that point where um, the wickedness, what, what did you read? The wickedness just becomes so great that that should scare us. Does that put the fear of God in anybody? That, that should really frighten us. Angela, he did harden a Pharaoh's heart. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it specifically, as Angela says, said, you know, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, hardened his own heart, hardened his own heart, and then suddenly it changes and says that God hardened his heart. Um, and so I, I'm just, I, you know, I, I really, I try not to, to be too um, uh, dramatic, and uh, I don't believe you can scare people into heaven but I'm just here to tell you tonight, if you've hardened your heart to God, please, 
Before you leave here, let us pray with you or, or pray to God on your way home and just ask him to soften your heart in any area that you've hardened to him. Because one thing I'm more sure of than the very air that I'm breathing is that there's a heaven and there's a hell. There's an eternity, a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be embraced. Um, and and we, uh, we can get to a place where, where we just... You know, we just tune God out and we ignore God and we, we, we harden our heart to him so many times that eventually he will turn us over to the hardness of our heart. And so if you're hearing my voice, there's hope um, because God wouldn't put you here to hear that voice if, if you were beyond. Um, yes, Mary Alice. If I need this, um, God has given me the grace to handle a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I've been through every type of abuse there is from age three on. Mm -hmm. um, not by choice, but he's brought me through it. Yes. All of it. He's given me this group as a tremendous family. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to know a lot of you really, really closely. Um, the pandemic has challenged a lot of people. Um, I had the <laughs> kind of laughable pleasure Telling people after the first like 90 days of stay at home, it's like, hey guys, welcome to my life. I've been doing this since August of 19 because of my seizure disorder. But even that challenge has brought me closer to him and with people. Um, I've learned that I'm never really your voice of voice again. Thank you. Good timing. Um, <clears throat> I've learned that hate is never, it's, it's a tool of the devil. It is a tool of the devil. You're right. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. All it does is make us. On the path of pain. Worse. <laughs> yeah. It, it takes makes, you on the path of pain. It makes us worse. Uh -huh. it, it, it makes feelings for ourselves worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I've learned that you can dislike the actions of those that have hurt you. But you need to forgive That's those right, that Alice. have hurt you. Yes, and I've done that to everybody in my life. That mm -hmm. has hurt me. Yeah. Whether I've been able to do it personally, um, because many of those that have hurt me, I haven't seen in upwards of 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but and Mary Alice, I want to I affirm you in that because when we do what God says, and God says to forgive, even when you've been done dirty, even when you've been hurt so severely, he, he still commands us, and it's a command to forgive. And it's not because that other person deserves it. It's because you deserve it. And he knows what unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness will do to the vessel in which it's stored. Um, and so you're seeing that, you're tasting of his goodness there, and that's your testimony. It is forgiving yourself. Mary Alice said the hardest forgiveness is forgiving yourself. And uh, I often will preach on the woman caught in adultery and how all the men were around her and they wanted to stone her. They were, they were holding stones in their hand to, to hurl at her. And uh, they all drop the stones and walk away. And I said that I use that. I say the hardest person to forgive sometimes is yourself. And, uh, but when we do that, what we say to God is, is that, you know, 
on the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid with his life so that I could be free. He took my sin and he bore it on the cross of Calvary and it cost him his very life. And so when I want to keep punishing myself for my sin, what I say to God is, it was not enough what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Do you know how insulting that must be to him, that he gave his life for me to be free? And I say, you know what, God, it wasn't enough. I have to keep punishing myself. And he paid a dear price for us to go free. And we need to relish in it and, and live in the freedom of all that, that he did for us. Thank you, Mary Alice. I, Angela was going to say something. So earlier I had said that the Lord or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, all while we were talking, I think the Lord has laid on my heart to read you the passage about the Good Samaritan. So I'm going to read that. It's in Matthew. I'm sorry. Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he warned, wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when, the, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him, and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Mm -hmm. And with all of the things that you're all saying, it seems as though any time that individuals hurt us, and ourselves included, that we're to do as Jesus did, and whatsoever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto done me. For me. That's and right. mercy, kind of when our enemies are there, you say, Forgive them, they know not what they do. And mercy always triumphs over judgment. And so when I choose not to forgive somebody, I'm making a judgment about them and their heart and their motives. And so very good, Angela. And, and, and I need you to hear me say that this psalm is not saying that those who don't know Jesus should be our enemies. You, you must hear me say that. Uh, when I see somebody that doesn't know Jesus, I make them my friend because I want them to know my Jesus. And so I don't believe at all that that is what David is saying here. I, uh, I, I believe he's doing what Cheryl said, and he's working through his feelings with the Lord. 
Um, and, and there were people out to get him, and he's trying to understand, Lord, what am I to do with all of this? And, uh, and so I think we see where he arrives, where I can only be accountable for me, and, and I need to stay clean before the Lord, and, uh, and I'm, I'm accountable for what I do. Leah, you were going to say something. I just found a quote. Um, it, was a, it was about hatred, and it was by someone named Francis Frangipane, um, it says, too many Christians become bitter and angry in the conflict. If we descend into hatefulness, we have already lost the battle. We must cooperate with God in turning what was meant for evil into greater good within us. This is why we bless those who curse us. It is not only for their sakes, but to preserve our own soul from its natural response toward hatred. Mm, very good. Do you think that that's some of what was going on in that psalm? Because David starts out so sweet and so filled with praise about God. And then all of a sudden, it's like something snaps, and he takes on a whole different tone. And then we see it come down to examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And I think that's what we see. Very good, Leah. Way to close that out. Any other questions before we go? You guys have been really great sports. We, we lost some people in the study time because they didn't want to they didn't want to study the Word of God, and I get that. It's, it is a tough challenge. And, um, but I'm back to preaching next week, and, and we'll have a, a message uh, before we break for the summer. Any other questions, though? Karen? Not, not a question, but just one thing that was kind of like a moment earlier today <laughs> because of just time constraints. And you've probably shared this before, but I found out that on... Um, Bible Gateway, you can type in a passage and it will read it to you. So, and then you can do the different versions. So if you are crazy busy, so I'm like, why haven't I at least been doing this? My kids could be listening. You can even do the message where it's just, you know, changed up. And so even if, if that's like a takeaway that you can even just be in your car, type it in. I mean, you can, I, hey, Siri, that's what I did. And it took me to, when I was in a safe place, because I do not text and drive, like then I was able to just click it and, it, and then you can just press play over and over so you can even be getting the word in that way in the different versions. Whoa. And yeah. so anyway, they probably all do it all the time. But <laughs> so and, anyway. and what Karen is saying is that remember the word meditate. If all you do in your study is meditate, to chew on that thing over and over and over again, that's what she's doing. If she's playing it in her car, she's meditating on that passage as she drives. And that alone will, will be a wealth for you. God will bring revelation, will bring understanding. My kids are screaming. <laughs> Who brings their kids? <laughs> <laughs> so let me pray for you uh, before we leave. Father God, I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, for your goodness. Thank you for those sweet little girls. And Father, we just ask that you just continue to work in our lives, that you can continue to just shine your light on this passage in the weeks and the months to come. May you bless every person here. Thank you for this Monday night team and, and the wealth of the word that's stored up within them. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just bless each person here now this week. I, I pray that you would show them your salvation, uh, demonstrate your love for them, Lord God, and bring them into a deeper place of intimacy. Bring me into a deeper place of intimacy with you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.